This is With You in the Weeds. Do you ever find yourself stuck in between what you know to be true and what you actually experience? Or the difference between where you are and where you want to be? Well, if so, you're in the weeds. And like weeds, those tough places keep coming back. I'm Lynn Rausch. And I'm John Tennant. As counselors, Lynn and I deal with those weeds all the time. Together, we designed this podcast because we want to be with you in those weeds, kind of like God desires to be with us. Hmm. Now, that idea will change everything. So we hope you'll listen in and let us be with you in the weeds. Let's get started. Welcome back to With You in the Weeds. Uh, My name is Lynn Rausch, and today I have my husband in the studio along with a very special guest. So really, I have the two favorite men in my life tackling this episode today. You guys, thanks so much for being here. I'm really excited to tackle this. Yeah, thanks for mention, mentioning me first. And I, I just, <laughs> I'll rank you above my dad. Is that yeah. how it should be? I don't know, but uh, I'm glad to hear that. But it's, it is good to have Erwin with us. You know, when he and Rebecca uh, come to Columbia um, as his son-in-law, I, I'm not going to get much help around the house, like fixing a toilet or the deck, but he is good to interview on a podcast that about the true. gospel. That and, is true. And I would say Rebecca helps keep the Columbia economy going by her trips to the mall. So, <laughs> Shopping for the grandkids. But Dad, we're so glad that you're here. Welcome. Lynn, I just rejoice in the fact that this podcast is having such a great impact. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Well, we are in our series right now called Grounded in Grace, and we're looking at what does it mean, practically speaking, to depend on God's grace? How does that impact our thinking, our daily life? What difference does it make or should it make when we understand grace at its deepest level. So in today's episode, as we talk about what it means to manage the weeds of perfectionism and performance, I I wanted to bring in this term that I've heard recently. I don't know if you guys have seen this online or in the news, but this idea that people have imposter syndrome in the workplace, is this something that you've been reading about or familiar with? Yeah, you're seeing it a lot um, currently. I mean, if you read anything online. um, In fact, I I just recently read an article on how to deal with imposter syndrome in the workplace where, you know, people feel in their jobs, they feel so inadequate. Um, You know, we maybe think, we don't belong uh, where we're working or we think, you know, we don't measure up to right. our other employees. They're they're so talented and, and I'm not. And uh, people just kind of feel like they're going to be found out as a fraud. Uh, it reminds me of one of my favorite um, Farside uh, oh, yeah. cartoons back in the day by uh-huh. Gary Larson. Uh-huh. And uh, it's a picture of a, there's a cockroach and he's on the street and he's laying next to a bum. So they're both bums. And and the the bum <laughs> looks at the cockroach and says, so what's your story? And, and the cockroach says, well, there I was, head of the company, corner office, very successful. And then one day someone yelled out, hey, he's just a cockroach. <laughs> I think there's a part of us that we all feel like that, that somebody's going to find us out to be frauds. Yeah, that's such a great analogy. And I think it actually fits uh, what we're talking about today because I think what we hear from our clients a lot and as we meet people in ministry, people feel like a spiritual imposter. And and what I mean by that is they feel like, you know, they're really trying hard to obey God. They're 
going to church, praying. They're believing all the right things, but no matter how hard they're trying, they still believe that deep down they're going to be exposed as a fraud, that they're unworthy of God's love, that there's you know, something really wrong with them. And, and if they do one wrong thing, they're going to end up in God's doghouse, so to speak, and God's going to be mad at them. And what we see is people reduce their relationship with God kind of to this equation that if my good outweighs, outweighs my bad, then God will love me. But then they have this experience of, man, I know that my bad often outweighs my good. So where does that leave me in standing? And so, Dad, I just wanted you to weigh in on this. What do you think drives this sense of uh, feeling like a spiritual imposter? Where do you see that show up when you talk with people? Well, oftentimes what happens is people have this sense of competition, and they know right well that they are falling short. And so what we want to do is we want to project our best image out Mm, there. mm -hmm. And that image may be a fraud. It may be an imposter, to use your term. And uh, one of the signs of that is when we cannot give thanks to God for those who are more successful than we in what we are doing. Because if you think of those who are more successful as competition or what you'd like to do is to criticize them and bring them down, that shows that sense of inadequacy that we're talking about today. And while I'm on the subject, just imagine what bad theology can do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I remember on a plane sitting next to a man who said that he attended a church, if you can believe this, and this is terrible theology— that taught that whenever he sinned, he lost his salvation. Mm. So what he said is, I can't live up to that. Obviously, I've tried. I've tried over and over again. And so he said, I'm going to let it all go. Mm. And then in the end, hopefully before I die, I'll be able to repent and go to heaven. That, of course, is not Christianity. That is not the gospel. We will be explaining the gospel that delivers you Mm. from that kind of a, a... from that kind of a Ferris wheel, so yeah, to speak. Yeah, exactly. And a treadmill that you can't get out of. I think other symptoms that I see as I talk with people is that they just kind of feel the need to hide. Um, you know, they don't want to be found out because they feel that disconnect between where they are and where they want to be. And so maybe they're very defensive. You know, if somebody does give them feedback, they you know, quickly blame shifted onto someone else. And there's really this deep-seated fear that I'm going to be found out. And, you know, it's fueled by this feeling of shame and feeling like a failure, like you can't live up to maybe the expectations you have for yourself or maybe God's expectations. Plus, if you think about it, Lynn, everything we do in life, we're, we're judged by our performance, right. right? You know, you do well, you get rewarded. If you don't, you don't. Um, that that's true of the workplace. It's true of school. It's true of athletics. Um, so, it, it, is it any wonder that we relate to God kind of in the same way? You know, we think on Judgment Day we're going to show up, and, and it's going to be how did we do mm-hmm. in comparison to others? And, and for some of us, that kind of puts us under the pile. For others, we think, you know what? I, I've been pretty good, you know, compared to a lot of people. And, and so our whole lives is based upon performance. We take that performance mindset. Absolutely. And, and we, we relate to God um, 
in that mindset. We think that our performance is what matters to him. Yeah. I would just notice three things that, three ways that people really get stuck in these weeds. Uh, The first one, Dad, uh, you already mentioned it, is that we criticize others. We just have to put other people's down, people down so that we can feel better about ourselves. So maybe we gossip, we slander, um, we undercut other people's successes just to help us feel better. Another thing, though, I would say is um, if you're stuck in these weeds, maybe you feel paralyzed. Like, I just can't do good enough, so I'm not going to try. And when I was thinking about this, Shay, Shay and I have a funny dynamic in our marriage. Um, so Shay believes that my expectations around holidays and birthdays are just totally unreasonable, unattainable. He could never, ever possibly live up to what I want from a holiday or a birthday. So I think that paralyzes you, right? You just sort of get stuck and then you end up thinking like, well, I just give up. I'm not going to do anything. Yeah. And <clears throat> this is a little tough to hash out in front of your dad, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, you know, you grew up differently than I did. You grew up in a family where you were always... Um, celebrating all holidays, birthdays, mm-hmm. speeches were made, that sort of thing. And there's something really great about that. But um, yeah, I think in, at times in our marriage, we've kind of struggled. And I'm just thinking, oh, wait, there's Mother's Day, right. <laughs> Valentine's Day, <laughs> there's the, an, our anniversary. Yeah. And I just, yeah, it, it, I, I want to do, I want to please you. But I think you have high expectations based upon um, you've what you've seen in your family, and maybe even your father. But what I see, though, is that when a person feels that they're under that pressure, it's like you just get paralyzed and yeah. you just go, okay, never mind. I give up. I'm not going to do anything. And then the last thing that we often see is that people overwork themselves. So they get on that treadmill, they work harder, they do more, they're just trying to prove themselves. Um, they're just looking for ways to boost themselves up because they have to, again, you know, live under this weight of expectations of others. Yeah. <clears throat> Often in our, uh, we view our work, our career, we're, we're trying to prove that we matter, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, it's Madonna on steroids. I mean, she's been in the news um, lately with some health issues, and I think that she had to just recently uh, cancel a tour. But, but you know, what? I, I loved her music back in the 80s. But if you remember, what, what did she say years ago? She said, I, I'm just as good as my latest hit. I'm just as good as my latest hit. And, and it's sad because everyone thinks, you know, she's just, she's such a maverick. She's just out there. But she really, at the end of the day, I think by that comment is saying she doesn't really know who she is. And, and she's always being defined by her performance yeah. and the expectations of others. Yeah. And uh, she's kind of on that treadmill of performance. And we all are like that to a certain extent. We all feel that. Yeah. And I want to just ask you, Dad, like, how do you see this playing out in our culture today? Because this is a big issue that we all experience and we're handling it in different ways. So I'd love your perspective on that. What we need to remember is this, that the more fame you have, the more pressure there is. Mm-hmm. Because every Everyone is defining you by how you perform, right? Mm-hmm. And one bad performance cancels all of the other good performances. Mm-hmm. So take the struggles that some of us have, some of us who are largely unknown, and then multiply that on a national stage where everything that you do is evaluated and you become a person in bondage. You're in bondage to what other people think. You're in bondage to the media. 
you're only as successful as your last performance, it's horrible. Now, if we were to find in life, and we're going to be getting to that in this podcast, if we could find an anchor, Mm -hmm. if we could find something that we could hang on to that is true about us, whether we're successful or not, we could sail through life giving thanks to God for those who are more famous and better at what we do because we would finally not be evaluating ourselves Mm -hmm. on the basis of our performance but on the basis of someone else's performance, yeah. which would be tremendously freeing. Yes, yeah, really and good. that's where we're going with this. And so we're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to get really detailed and in the weeds about a story about a man who experienced this spiritual imposter syndrome and what freed him from that. And that's going to move us into what that anchor is that you just described. So stay with us. We'll be right back in a jiffy. But we want to take a quick pause to say thank you. Thank you so much for listening in. If you like what you're hearing, think about texting this episode to a friend. And find us on Instagram at With You in the Weeds. Okay, so now we're going to hear the story of a man who experienced spiritual imposter syndrome and what ended up happening when he found grace and found the gospel. Dad, tell us this story. It's fascinating. The story is about Martin Luther. Here he is trying to figure out, how can I please God? Mm -hmm. Now, that's a great motivation. So he signed up in the Augustinian monastery, and there he took very seriously his vows. He slept oftentimes without blankets. And you can see the cells today, and these cells are made of stone often. Mm -hmm. He did all that he possibly could to please God, but he never knew that it was enough. In fact, sometimes he fasted so long that people thought that uh, he might die. Now, confession was of some solace to him, but I want everyone to understand. Here was his problem. In order for sins to be forgiven, they had to be confessed. If they were not remembered, then they could not be forgiven because they could not be confessed. Mm -hmm. And then furthermore, after confessing his sins for up to six hours at a time, furthermore, tomorrow was a new day. It was like mopping up the floor with a faucet running. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so he was in this bind, and the question was, how does a person get right with God? Now, what he was taught was this. God gives grace, certainly. Salvation is by grace, but you have to make yourself worthy of the grace. And so that was his problem. How do I become worthy of grace? Now, I'm smiling a bit, Shay, as I'm looking at you, because if a person thinks that he has to be worthy of grace, he obviously does not understand grace. No. But that's where Luther found himself. And the question was, how do you get out of this treadmill? And there are people who are listening today who are trying to figure out How can I be pleasing to God? On the one hand, I do do some good things. But on the other hand, there's this dark side of me. And God knows all about the dark side. So how can I become righteous 
in the sight of a holy God. See, there were those who said, Luther, you don't have to confess all of your little sins. Just confess the big ones. But Luther was a better theologian than his contemporaries. He knew that the issue was not whether the sin was big or little, but whether or not it had been forgiven. The smallest smidgen of sin will bar you from God forever. So you can imagine the emotional turmoil that he was going through in his attempt to say, how high is God's standard and what do I have to do to meet it? Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. And w- why was he coming to that conclusion? Because he was reading his Bible and he was reading Augustine and he was beginning to see a disconnect, right, between what the church at that time was teaching about grace and works and what he was seeing in books like Romans and Galatians. He went to Wittenberg. There was a new university that was beginning there, and he began to lecture on the Psalms. He comes to Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now Luther said, wait a moment. Jesus experienced the same existential despair as I did. He felt forsaken by God. Why? And it began to dawn on him that was for me. And then, of course, as all of us know, he got to the book of Romans. And there he discovered that there was a connection between faith and righteousness. He said, day and night I pondered to see the connection between the just shall live by faith and the righteousness which God gives until he discovered there was two kinds of righteousness. There was a righteousness that belonged to God— But there was also a righteousness that was a gift that God gave and credited to sinners who believed the gospel in repentance and faith. Luther said it was as if I went through the doors of paradise. Luther now said it doesn't matter how high God's standard is as long as I don't have to meet it. Mm -hmm. Jesus met it. On the cross, Jesus got what he didn't deserve, namely our sin, and we get what we don't deserve, namely his righteousness. Now I can stand before God, a free man. And Dad, what you're describing is what uh, theologians call justification, right? Justification by faith that we exchange our sin for God's righteousness, and we are made just in God's eyes. So it's not based on our performance. It's based on, like you said, it's based on what God did through Christ. We receive that gift. And now, Dad, I know I've heard you say this in the past, um, you know, God demands perfection, but then he supplies what he demands. And I think that us, like that sinking deep into our souls is where we you know, bring that that gap between, wow, I can see that I can't measure up and I can see God's holiness. And yet, you know, how do I come out of this place of feeling like a fraud or imposter? You know, God has given me his grace, his righteousness. And so I no longer am held to that standard because Jesus did it for me. Is that like what we're really getting at here, how we get grounded in grace? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's. I think it's the key, this idea of justification. Um, 
it's the key to the gospel. You you lose this and you lose the gospel, mm-hmm. right? And and it's the key to all of life. I I, I think. Um, is there really any doctrine that is that is sweeter? That is not our standing before God is not based upon our performance or obedience to the law, but it's based upon what Jesus did for us on the cross and His obedience mm-hmm. on our behalf. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what do you do? Do you try to reach within yourself to find some good reason why God should like you? You do that and the devil will have you for lunch. What you do is you look outside yourself and say, I thank God that in Jesus Christ today I have acceptance. I'm speaking very specifically here. Just imagine this. Jesus prayed in John 17 that if we believe on him, he says, thou hast loved them even as thou hast loved me. Now, do we believe that? Of course we don't. Because if we did, we could rejoice in people who are more successful than we are. We would be free from having to put on a mask and uh, put our best foot forward all the time. Because at last, we have an anchor that we are loved despite our imperfections, despite our sins. Now, this doesn't mean that we live in sin, obviously, but the point is, at last our souls can be at rest. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Yeah, I think this is such a great conversation that we're having, and I feel that people are going to feel set free from this. Dad, you mentioned something about the devil will eat you for lunch. And I think there is that aspect of there is an enemy of our souls that is working against this doctrine. It, you know, he lies to us and he tells us that, no, you're still under the curse of sin. God will not love you. God will not accept you. How do you think this doctrine of justification speaks to that inner struggle? Yeah, uh, you know, Romans 8, Paul, right, says this, that um, Satan, one of his jobs, he's, he, he stands before God, and he, he's our accuser, right? Um, mm-hmm. And he basically says this, and he did the same thing with Job, but he says, you know, look at so-and-so. How can you call so-and-so, uh, you know, a Christian? And, and he accuses us before God, but we know that argument falls short. But we begin to think that same thing in our minds. He whispers to us, like even as Christians, we, we still see our sin, mm-hmm. even as Christians, right? We still struggle against sin. And Satan comes along and he whispers in our, in our heads, you know, how, how can you say that you're saved? How can you say mm-hmm. that you're forgiven? And we begin to buy into that lie. And I, I think I've heard you say this before, Erwin, but, but at that point, we should agree with, with Satan. Yeah, you're right. But it's mm-hmm. not based upon my performance. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's based upon the performance of Jesus. And right. that's why I'm accepted and loved and forgiven. And I like that idea of just, I, I think a lot of us, we're not even aware of that battle that's going on in our souls. So just even tuning into that and being aware of that and then combating that with the truth of Scripture, having those verses at hand or, you know, if not memorized, knowing where you can find them because there are points in our lives, I believe, that, you know, Satan does point a finger at us and tries to pull us and pull us further away from this belief that you are loved, you are accepted, you are a child of God, you have been forgiven. 
And I think this is a battle that we're going to deal with the rest of our lives. I mean, we we don't ever fully arrive. We're going to have to continue to believe this, you know, multiple times over because there is that indwelling sin that, yeah. that we have yeah. to wrestle so, with. So, so I just want to be very clear here, not that we, we haven't been up to this point, but how do we get off the performance treadmill? Mm-hmm. And so I, we think the key is justification. And, you know, it really has um, two parts, actually three. I just want to be clear on this. The the Bible says, first of all, that God makes Jesus to be sin for us. Mm -hmm. In in other words, he counts our sins against Jesus at the cross. Jesus is punished for all of our past sins, our present sins, and our future sins at the cross. And of course, that makes sense because when Jesus died on the cross, all of our sins were in the future, right? Mm -hmm. And, And so that has to be the case. But then second, God declares us righteous when we repent and believe the good news about Jesus. In other words, it's, it's a legal term. Mm-hmm. And, and we're declared righteous even though we're not. And then finally, if that's not enough, if that's not enough good news, Jesus' righteousness, we're told, is, is imputed to, into us. So when God sees us as believers, it's not that we are holy, but how he now thinks of us or sees us, he sees us as righteous even though we're not. And that's how God will see us for all eternity. Mm-hmm. That, that's what I, I want you to get. It's not as if God forgives us, wipes our slate clean, and then we've got a fresh start. And now we better get our act together and measure up and live a righteous life or we're going to be in trouble with God or we could lose our salvation. No, 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 no. The gospel says not only are we declared righteous the moment we believe, but for all eternity, God will see us or think of us as righteous throughout the Christian life. That's grace. We do need discipline. We do need to learn to walk with God. We need to live out the righteousness that Jesus Christ has given to us and the desire to do righteousness that is now implanted in our hearts. Yeah, we, we, we obey, right? Because we know we're accepted and we're loved. Yes. And we want to please our, our Savior. Right. Lynn, do you remember when you were on tour with us and we were touring Germany, I guess it was? There was a man there who was struggling with his acceptance before God. And he thought that God was angry with him because he went golfing on a Sunday morning. To make sure that God wasn't angry with him, he went to church on Saturday evening just Mm -hmm. to kind of even the score. Because if I'm going to go golfing on Sunday morning, I have to go to church Saturday evening, Mm -hmm. right? And you told him, it doesn't matter to God whether you go golfing or not, if you're in Christ, he loves you just as much. Do you remember that? Yeah, no, I think I said when you're on the golf course on Sunday morning, just know that God delights in you as his child. And it was like the light bulb went on and he And was not like, only that, but we were with him about a year ago and, and the incident that we're talking about happened several years ago. Yeah. And he still refers to it as the moment of his deliverance. It, he was freed. It's amazing how just that one little shift of like, I am loved, I am accepted, not based on my performance. Again, it frees you up to just know like, 
I'm a beloved child of God. I'm accepted. I'm yeah. secure. There's nothing that's going to separate us. And that's an incredible story. It's exactly what we're talking about, right? I I mean, I I love it. The light bulb went on that Mm -hmm. he understood (laughs) the gospel, right? And and And, the long-term implications of one remark over dinner. Sure. That's that's exactly right. And and, and so, you know, just to push the ball a little bit further here. So, you know, Paul lays out, he's exactly right, you know, first couple of chapters, hey, um, unbelievers, Gentiles, whether you're religious, we all need the gospel, right? We're all sinners. He talks about then in, in Romans 5, this, this idea of justification by faith, we're saved through God's grace, and it's not our works. And, and Romans 6, then you were mentioning this earlier, Erwin, that, that now we have, uh, because we know that God loves us, that out of gratitude, we should obey him. But then Paul gets to Romans 7 and he looks at his life and he says this, I, I keep doing though, and I mm-hmm. think this is the normal Christian life. We, we sometimes do what we don't want to mm-hmm. do, right? We want to live a life that's pleasing to God. But we we find ourselves at times we don't. We all still struggle with sin. That imposter syndrome. With that imposter syndrome, right? We look inside our lives and we still see sin. We still see sins that we're struggling with. And I think that's the normal Christian life. But he does have a heart that says, I want, I want to do what's right. Mm -hmm. And, and, and then what does he say though, in that condition? Well, Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So even Erwin, when he sees his lack of righteousness in the Christian life. He has to go back to the fact that he has to go back to the gospel and justification that he's loved and that he's accepted and forgiven no matter what and rest his heart in that. And, and resting his heart in that will enable us to, to follow the Lord. Well, as you're listening to this, we know we have people who are all over the spectrum in their faith and their spiritual journeys, and maybe you've never studied the Bible. Maybe this is all new to you. We're just so glad that you're here, that you're listening. Um, but but as we conclude today, I just want people to have a takeaway, just a summary of what it is we've talked about today and how this can practically impact their lives. And Dad, I think you've got a good story that would help bring this home for people. Lynn, in the 1800s, there was an evangelist by the name of Dwight L. Moody. As a matter of fact, he began the Moody Church, where it was my privilege to be the pastor. But he tells the story of being in a meeting where a man stood up and said, it took me 40 years to learn three things. And Moody said, wow, if it took took him 40 years, I certainly maybe can learn it more quickly. Mm -hmm. What the man said is this, number one, I cannot save myself. My performance will not bring me in a right relationship with God. Number two, God doesn't expect me to save myself. And number three is that Jesus did it all for those who turn from their sins and trust him and rest in his righteousness. And if there's a closing comment that I want to make, it is simply this. Always remember, the gospel is not what we can do for Jesus. The gospel is what Jesus has done for us. Mm -hmm. And no matter who you are who are listening, no matter how far you have fallen into sin or how righteous you think yourself to be, the fact is, right now, 
you can trust Christ and rest in him. Turning from your sin, your need, turning to the one who is able to save sinners. Yeah, I love that. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'll quote Tim Keller here, and I know you were friends with him. And, and But, you know, I, I remember him just saying is if you, if you show up before God on Judgment Day and you've got your arms full of and say, look, Jesus, here's all my works. Here's all my the things I've done for you. Now it's time to you, you owe me. He, he says you'll, you'll be turned away because he says all we need is nothing. And, and we, but we just have to see our need for Jesus and that we can't save ourselves through obedience to the law, through our performance, through our good works. But it's, it's only by God's grace. Mm-hmm. And, man, that, that is really good news because what it means is, is it means that um, the worst of sinners out there, Christianity holds out hope for the worst of sinners who can be forgiven no matter what they've done. So it, it holds out hope to the to the person who's lived a pretty good life, but yet they have to see their need for Jesus, but also the person on death row and who's committed all kinds of atrocities, even that person mm-hmm. can be forgiven. And and that's one of the reasons why Christianity has spread, because people who know they're sinners can, can be forgiven right. in Jesus. Right. It doesn't exclude anyone. This has been a great conversation on this topic of perfectionism and performance and how really understanding grace and being grounded in it can really free us up and really get us off of that treadmill. So Shay, Dad, thank you so much for being here. We really hope this has helped our listeners understand what grace is all about and how it can impact their lives. So thanks for having this great conversation. Thanks for letting us be with you in the weeds of life. We want this resource to bring you hope and to help bridge the gap between where you are and where you want to be. Follow us on Instagram at With You in the Weeds. If you like what you're hearing, text the episode to a friend, like us, and leave a review. Until next time, remember, God is with you in the weeds.